Can y'all hear me? Okay. I think I turned it off, and then on, and then off, and then on. Okay. Um, good to see everyone this morning. Beautiful Lord's Day to be here. It's always a pleasure to be with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and to, to have the opportunity to uh, open God's Word and study it once again. And uh, Hopefully this will be beneficial for you as we study together this morning. So, uh, Brother Larry finished up chapter 7 of the book of John. Um, and, and that was last week, and then of course I'm picking up here, and I'm gonna I'm gonna cover chapter eight. Uh, probably go two weeks. Uh, I can't see getting through all this material this morning, so uh, I'm sure I'll be up here at least two weeks. Um, as I was getting ready uh, and thinking about this, uh, uh, I was thinking back to when we first started the study of the Book of John, and you know, uh, I believe. Uh, Paul was the one that did did chapter one, and he kind of did an introduction to the to the book of John. So I just thought, well, you know, it's been quite quite a few months. Uh, matter of fact, it's been I think uh, over seven months since I've been up here and taught. So with the COVID nineteen thing and all, we just had a had a lot of interruption. But back when when we were kind of introducing the book of John, I made a point of the relationship or the relation of the uh, the Gospels of the recordings of Matthew, Mark, and Luke to uh, maybe as a separate entity to the Gospel of John. the the three The first three, of course, you know, you, you commonly refer to them as the Synoptic Gospels, and they were written generally in the same time frame. In general, it's agreed that John wrote quite some time later. Uh, probably after the other disciples who had written were dead. Uh, probably, possibly as late as 100 A.D. Uh, so Matthew, Mark, and Luke were written some 25 or so years earlier. And, of course, what they did was give a detailed account of the, of the record of, of Jesus' life. But, but John had now lived long enough to, to have heard the teaching of all the heretics and all the naysayers and all the doubters uh, who, who, who challenged the deity of Christ, who even challenged that he even lived. Uh, some were even suggesting that Jesus was not deity, that, that he was a prophet or maybe just a good teacher or just a good example. Uh, and, and definitely there were many that were denying that he was the Son of God. And so the Apostle John, knowing that here he was, one of the original apostles who was eyewitness to many, many things that Jesus did, to the supernatural life of Jesus, uh, I think he wrote with the intention of documenting and including events and teachings that, that would leave no doubt that, yes, this was the Son of God. Jesus was the Son of God. He was deity. He, that, that was His true identity. And he, John wrote this in chapter 19, verse 35. He says, And he who has seen has testified, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, so that, so that 
you may believe. Let me kind of paraphrase what John was saying there. He was saying, I saw it. I witnessed it. And it's true. I know it's true. I don't care what you say, heretics, it's true. And John often, you know, referred to himself in the, in the third person, and he, he, re, he liked to refer to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And, and of course, we know Jesus loved everyone. He loved every disciple. But, but we also know that he had a, a special relationship with John um, and that he loved him. He had a special love for him. And, and we think about the, what we often call the inner three of the apostles uh, who, who he took there upon the Mount of Transfiguration, that being Peter, James, and John being one of those. And, and when he was at the Garden of Gethsemane before his betrayal, he separated himself and he took those same three separate with him. So it's obvious what the relationship was. Um, and so why, why, would it, why would we be surprised that John could not give a, a somewhat different perspective or viewpoint that, that emphasizes uh, Jesus' love, not just His love for His disciples, but His love for the Father and the Father's love for Jesus. And so, we look at the book of John, it's a, it's a general outline, of course, of the life and work of Jesus, but it's different from those first three Gospels. It, it seems to me that what John intended to do was to stress or focus on the, the individual relationships that Jesus had with various people. He, he had the intention of showing the human side of, of Jesus, uh, the man Jesus, but yet at the same time giving proof that yes, he, he was the Messiah, he was the Christ, um, and, and that he, had de- he was deity and that he had supernatural powers. And, and so he gives a lot of attention to proving that Jesus is just that Son of God, but also showing that He was very much a, a, a human being, a man, uh, by showing a lot of things, showing that He got tired, He was sad, uh, at times He was hungry, uh, at times He was very loving. He was just like you and I. He had the same set of emotions that you and I, and same set of feelings and things that you and I have and that we experience. And so... When we look at the book of John, it's, it's a dialogue of, of our, a dialogue with people and a demonstration or an example of relationships with people from people from very normal average people all the way up to the Jewish and the Roman leadership all across all spectrums of that society he had relationships with. And so when we look to chapter 8, we, we're seeing that. We, as we've gone through these seven chapters, we're seeing that it, it's, it's dialogue. It's one set of circumstances that Jesus encounters, and then there's this interaction, and then it moves on to another set and another set. And so as we come into chapter 8, that's, that's what we see. It is, it is several conflicts with the religious leaders of, of that day and time as... as so often happened during, during the Lord's ministry. We look at chapter 8 just to kind of briefly summarize it. Uh, it gives, in, in verses 1 through 11, the narrative of the woman taken into adultery. And we, have, we are familiar with that. I can say that with confidence. That is a, a, 
uh, a part of the scripture that's often been talked about and studied and uh, I, I know that you uh, have heard that before you've heard lessons on that before and we're going to focus on it of course as well a very very familiar passage uh, and been the subject of many lessons really um, and in this incident what, what again is happening is these religious leaders are coming to Jesus and they've come up with a scheme and they're trying to entrap him and take away his credibility take away his influence that he was having on the people in verses 12 through 59 are several exchanges between Jesus and again those, those same religious leaders, the, the Pharisees. The Pharisees were, were questioning everything they possibly could about the validity of Jesus' testimony. Uh, they, and, then, and then in turn, as we're, we're talking about there being a dialogue, there's two sides to it. Jesus challenges them. And, and he calls them things like the children of the devil. Uh, and, and then they accuse him of being demon-possessed. And he, he says, no, I'm the Son of God. I'm the Messiah. I'm the Son of God. So let's kind of turn our attention then to that, that first group of, of, of verses, uh, verses 1 through 11, where um, the woman who is caught in adultery is brought to Jesus. And again, it's, it's a familiar thing to us. And so... Jesus had, as, as we read in the, in the passage there, had, had returned to the temple and he had, he had sat down there and he was beginning to teach the people. And then here comes this group of Pharisees uh, and they interrupt him, uh, the scribes and, and the Pharisees, and, and they bring a woman before him who is caught in the act of, of adultery. And so we know and we read and see that that... that the scribes and the, the Pharisees were just especially antagonistic toward Jesus because they knew if his teachings were going to prevail that that would be an end to their position, their places of preference before the people. And that was what was... Their world turned on that. That was what was most important to them in their world. And so they contrived and they designed this incident to to test Jesus and ultimately to try to embarrass Him and then to accuse Him and, and then to try to use that to harm the influence that He's having on the people. Uh, a cold and cruel thing to do. It was a cold and cruel thing to, to take this woman and, and do that to that woman. Uh, and, and the idea... the, the the opinion is that perhaps she was even being held in jail. And, and so they thought that they could take this opportunity with this woman to entrap the Lord. And in so doing, what did they do to the woman? They actually just made a public spectacle of her. They showed no mercy uh, to that woman. So I want to ask you a question. What's missing? The man. The man. The man. In order for there to be adultery, there has to be another participant. In likelihood, a man. Today we can't necessarily say that, can we? But in likelihood, it was a man. Where's the man? Why would he not be paraded out and presented to Jesus as, as a couple? 
rather than the woman. And, and then them also asked Jesus to pass the same judgment on the man that he did on the woman. And it's just hypocrisy. Their hypocrisy is just amazing. It's on display. And they probably maybe didn't even realize how, how it was on display. Uh, but Jesus did not challenge them about that. And, and I think it's obvious to me anyway that they were just completely insensible to moral values. And, and their motives were nothing but selfishness. That's all, that's all you can use, the, the only word really that really nails it. The Greek words that are translated here don't... You know, your picture might be that they maybe got her by the arm and they're walking her in. The Greek words that are translated here indicates that she was dragged there. I can, I can envision her being dragged and you know, thrown out there in front of him on the ground and abused to some degree. And they reminded Jesus that, you know, that the, the law of Moses required stoning of those who are found guilty of this. And so I want to read a few scriptures with you. Uh, the first is Exodus 20 and verse 14, which is one of the Ten Commandments. Real short. You shall not commit adultery. So that is the commandment that's being violated here. And then Leviticus 20 and verse 10. The man who commits adultery with another's wife, he who commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. So they look ridiculous. You know, they really <laughs> without the man there. Deuteronomy 17, verses 6-7, through seven, Whoever is deserving of death shall be put to death on the testimony of two or three witnesses. He shall not be put to death on the testimony of one witness. The hands of the witnesses shall be the first against him to put him to death, and afterwards the hands of all the people. So you shall put away the evil among you. And again, this course is just complete hypocrisy because their motive was not to uphold the law as we've read it here. That, wasn't, that, that did not matter to them, apparently. Um, the Romans, you know, had, had actually taken away capital punishment from the Jews, and so... If, if they had really truly wanted to, they could not enforce it without violating Roman law any, anyway. And so what they did is they felt like they had brought this forward and they had put Jesus in this dilemma. They thought they had Him. If He said to Stoner, He contradicted Roman law. Uh, and if He said not to Stoner, then He violated the law of Moses. And if He did the latter then his influence would be completely compromised with the people. And if he said to Stoner, then this would involve him with the Roman authorities. And in either case, it, it, the, his influence gets compromised. And in their minds, they think they have him in a no-win situation here. And so we know what happens next. Jesus stoops to the ground and writes on the ground. Now, this gesture of stooping to write on the ground does not show indifference to the situation, but rather shows that 
He did not intend to answer them directly. Because he knew their hearts. He knew their intentions. Um, There's a famous saying that's been kind of revised through time, but it originated with Napoleon Bonaparte. And the saying as Napoleon said it was like this, exactly like this. Never interrupt your enemy when he is making a mistake. It's been kind of twisted a little bit. I've heard it said like, never interrupt your enemy when he's making a fool of himself. But that's not what Napoleon said. He said it like this. I think about that when I read this passage. Don't interrupt them. They've already stepped on themselves already. Back in February, uh, the elders brought in Rob Whitaker for a personal evangelism workshop. It was on a Friday evening and a Saturday. And uh, I came to it. uh, If you did not come to it, uh, I believe maybe there were possibly 50 or so here if you not were not here for that, you missed a truly tremendous blessing. And I would like to highly encourage you, reach out to Brent or Martin, whoever you need to, and get copies of those CDs and listen to this. Please do that. It, it was one of the most powerful studies on personal evangelism I've, I've heard, and, and I can give you three reasons off the top of my head. Uh, first of all, he presented to us a very, very effective manner or procedure or method for doing evangelism. I mean, it's very effective. Second thing, he was passionate. His enthusiasm was contagious. It was almost addictive. He, he had what we call zeal. You and I don't have zeal. This man had zeal, I'm telling you. He was on fire. And he shared it. And you, he didn't have to tell you that. You know, you, you witnessed that. He was a fireball for the Word of God. And it, it wasn't one of these seminars or workshops where he just says, here's the method, go do it. Wasn't that. He is doing it. He is using it. And he's converting souls with it. And it was full of real life conversions. He put pictures up on the on the screens of people, called their names, went through stories of how those people were were you know taught the gospel and obeyed the gospel. It was real life. It wasn't just some method that you know you kind of see in a general way and go out and put it. Please do this. If you did not attend that seminar, seminar, please get those CDs and please listen to them. And you'll understand what I'm telling you, even though you weren't here to see maybe the, the, the pictures. Now, and so you're, you're probably wondering, what's that got to do with John chapter 8? You know. Well... He used this passage we're looking at this morning to make a very, very good, strong point. And I, 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 it had never crossed my mind. It just, I thought, wow, that's pretty good. As many times as I've read it, and I've heard lessons about it, this never occurred to me. And, and here's the point. 
Jesus never answered the questions. He didn't answer the question. He, he didn't answer them. He stooped down on the ground and started drawing on the ground. He, did, he didn't engage them. He, he didn't let it escalate into this back and forth argument where emotions get all stirred up. And, and he never answered the specific charge. And, and so when you're studying with someone, don't answer the questions. And, and his examples, Rob's examples, were full of that. He, he had realized this. And, and so when, when he focused on really doing evangelism, he applied it, and it worked like a charm. This man, they, they had like, he was in, uh, uh, name of that little town goes off the top of my head up Tennessee where he was. can't think of the name of it now. It starts with a W. I'll think of it in a minute. But he was at a congregation kind of up there above Lebanon, back up in that area, back up in the, uh, in the back country back up there. Um, I'll think of the name of the little town. But that was the congregation he was at, and they had about 250 people. And it, a certain thing happened with a, a couple that I wanted to share with you, and it took off. And they were baptizing folks. I'm telling you, that church was on fire and growing. Um, back on track. When you're studying with someone, don't answer their questions. Guide them to read the Scripture. And the conversion then becomes between them and the Word of God. The power is in the Word of God. You, you can't convict them. You can't do that. But the Word of God can. You can't enter into their heart. The Word of God can enter into their heart. The Word of God can touch their heart. The Word of God can change their heart. And it is the Scripture that has the power to save. It is the Word of God that has the power to save. That's what Jesus would do. Some, some group would come up and He'd challenge them and with all these charges and questions and stuff's just flying. And He often didn't answer them. He didn't answer the questions directly, but he asked them in return things that would convict them. And he let the conviction take place in their own hearts, not in the course of exchange of words back and forth. One of the first couples that Brother Rob used as an example, and I'm going to bear with me, and I'll get past this and we'll get back on chapter 8, but it's, I think, very relevant to this, to this passage of what we're studying One of the first couples, that, the very first couple that he put up was a couple and their name was Jackie and Sheila Birdwell up there in that little town where they were at. And in brief, they were well-known members of the community and well-known uh, active members of a predominant denominational church up there. They had a, a daughter and a son. The daughter had married and moved off. And after she moved off, had heard the gospel and obeyed the gospel. 
And so that had presented quite a conflict in that family because these people were very strong in their beliefs. Wherever the daughter had located to, and I forget where that was, seemed like it was up near Henderson, Tennessee, back up in that area. But anyway, the daughter uh, asked their minister. Apparently she had started trying to teach her mother and father, and so wasn't successful, so she had asked her, her minister there if he would find somebody in their area that could teach them the gospel. And so he did. He, him and he called Rob and passed that information off to Rob, who they were, what the address was, and asked them would they do a Bible study, or asked Rob would he do a Bible study with them. Um, and there's a, there's a good story to that. If you'll get those CDs, it's, 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 it'll bring tears to you. And so, um, it's an involved story. Eventually, Rob is able to do that. He's able to make contact with them and meet them. And uh, when they realize he's the minister of the Church of Christ, they kind of light up. And I remember making the comment in there about uh, as he was meeting Sheila Birdwell, he said, I'm the minister of the Church of Christ. And uh, I thought she might have some questions for me. And she says, oh, yes, I do. And so she starts rolling them off. You know? so, so the connection was made. And um, 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 But as Rob studied, um, he said he used Jesus' method. She was rolling those questions off but he didn't answer the questions. He just sort of, to kind of sidetrack it, he wrote, wrote down, okay, what was that? What was that? You know? And rather than letting that sidetrack them and get them into this back and forth type of argument, he just simply recorded the question and he moved on. He said, and he says this, something along the lines of this, he says uh, he wasn't going to play Bible trivia with them. He, he, he wasn't going to get into that game of back and forth. That's not productive. And besides that, he knows something else very significant, and that is his Lord never did that. We have no example of that. And so she would ask a question. He'd say, well, that's an interesting question, Sheila. You seem to be a very religious person. And this went on, and he said all of a sudden she just kind of blew up and said, turned to her husband and said, Jackie, why won't he answer my questions? And, and then Rob replied and said, um, well, that's a very perceptive question. And I, and I tell you what, I'm not very good at telling, but I'm real good at showing. And, and from there they went on to set up a Bible study. And in doing that, he let the Word of God take over. The power is in the Word of God. He converted that couple. And he said that changed that congregation. And they started, they got on fire, and they went from 250 to 270, 290, 300. You, you can hear, you can go do that. Coming back to chapter 8, the power's in the Word of God. His answer to them was, was perfect in every way. 
And, and as it happened each time that, that Jesus opposed him, he took their deceitful nature and turned it around on them. They overlooked part of the law in their, in their effort, in their, their haste to trap Jesus. They didn't think that through very well. In Deuteronomy 17, Moses is, is giving instructions as to how a stoning is to take place for such a sin like we're talking about here. Go ahead, Larry. Yeah, I was coming to that. Yeah, yeah, I was going to come to that here just in a minute. Um, back to Deuteronomy chapter 17. The hand of the witness shall be the first upon him to put him to death, and afterwards the hand of the people. So, in Deuteronomy, uh, the witness to the act of adultery or the witnesses, I guess, could be more than one, were to be the first ones to cast a stone. And then the others could fall in and proceed and do it. And so, Jesus is adding to what Moses wrote in that not only were the first ones to cast a stone to be a witness, but they were to be without sin themselves. So, so Jesus makes this statement from Deuteronomy and, and then he stoops down as Larry was talking about and, and what's, he, what's he doing? Well, that's one opinion that we hear a lot about well, he was writing this. What was he writing? We don't know. We, it's not recorded. We don't know. It's just our ideas and, and perceptions of it. But this is what sort of I think. He's letting them process it. He said it to them and then he backed down. And he preoccupied himself with something else. And so he's letting them, he's letting the wheels spin for a few minutes. That's, that's kind of what I think was going on. And, and if, if they throw the first stone, they acknowledge they are hypocrites. But they themselves will be the ones that break the Roman law, not Jesus, that they were going to try to entrap him with. 
And if they don't throw a stone, they acknowledge they're sinners. Just like the woman they've tossed down on the ground there in front of them. And so they have a choice. Be a hypocrite or be a sinner. And he's letting them think that over. I, I, that's, my, that's what I think's happening. And I don't, I don't know. It, that's a good point. I hadn't really thought about did he write names. I could have. Could have heard. Yes? Yeah, that's what we're... The sins of... Oh, I'm sorry. The sins of the crowd. Possibly. What was that, Jeremiah? Jeremiah 17.13. Jeremiah 17.13. That's a very good verse in relative to this, I think. What it was, though, was a complete reversal to the trap they had laid. They had got they were the ones in the trap. When, when they and, and of course, through the process of the event, when they when they realized what Jesus had responded to them with, they began to leave. One by one. One by one. No one was willing to cast that first stone. And why? Because their hearts were convicted with their own sins, their own selves. Back to what I was talking about with Brother Rob Whitaker. You can't convict them if you're doing evangelism. God's Word can and that's where the conversion happens. That's where the obedience begins. It's when they realize in their own hearts, through the Word of God, that they're sinners and that they're lost. It's kind of connection to this real quick. We're just about out of time. Um, that couple I was talking about that was very, very strong in that denominational um, church had... When, when he did the third study, they had agreed among themselves, he thinks he's going to baptize us. He's not. We're going to show him. He goes to the third study, and the gentleman, um, I forget how he worded it now, but at some point, the, the wife says, what are you doing? You know, what, we, we said we weren't going to do this. And his response was, I have no choice. That's where they need to get to in their heart. And you can't do that. But the Word of God can. And, and, and you use that. And that's all this stuff we've been doing with uh, the booklets on Sunday night and all is designed around that. That's, that's the way that study works. Is you just simply lead them through a Scripture-based Bible study that lets the Scripture speak to them. Okay. Um, let me get moving on here because we're just about out of time. Uh, they were humbled. 
And, and then that was followed by some self-examination, and then one by one they leave until they're all gone. And so what that tells us is they were at a point where they decided it was better to be acknowledged as a sinner than to be a hypocrite and break Roman law. And so, so picture that scene. Here's this crowd or a mob, you might call it a mob. They drag this woman down you know, before Jesus and, and all of the others He was teaching. And, and then this scene unfolds and pretty soon all that are left are Jesus and the woman. And so we're out of time. I'll come back and, and finish this up just a little bit next week and then we'll move on into the next verses and talk about the dialogue that goes on down there. This is such a... Um, how should I phrase this? To me, it's one of the greatest sections of Scripture. There's so much to glean from here, so much to learn from here. You know, well worth our focus even though we may have studied it other times before. Thank you for your comments this morning and... Uh, We'll, we'll stop there and um, pick back up at the same place next week.